Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, a podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I'm David Moore, and it's been a strange few weeks, and I'm not really sure who I am anymore. And, uh, and I'm Ken Newquist, uh, a guy who loves a good scary graphic novel, trying out new backpacking gadgets, and investigating small-town murder mysteries, including the disappearance of a co-host. <laughs> So, uh, so David, what have you what have you been up to? <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, well, speaking to your disappearance of a co-host, Brindlewood Bay. It's a game literally based on the idea of you're playing uh, Murder She Wrote, which was a TV series, I think, back in the eighties. That sounds right. It, it went for a while uh, with Jessica Fletcher. She was a, a writer in the town, and uh, she's ended up getting caught up in murder mysteries all the time. And so Brindlewood Bay, the designers of Brindlewood Bay, thought that that was a cool concept um, and went with the idea that you are a member of the Murder Mavens and we are, and you are uh, somehow brought into all of these murder mysteries in Brindlewood Bay and you need to solve them. This isn't a spoiler. You all know as, as players and stuff when you're going into it, but there's... There's a a more sinister thing other than murder uh, going on in Brindlewood Bay uh, that is uh, a kind of a supernatural uh, element to it. There's a secret society that is trying to bring about the end of the world or whatever their whatever their uh, plans are. Um, And as you play through multiple murder mysteries, you begin gathering more and more clues about this secret society leading up to some sort of uh, climactic confrontation. What may not have come across was when you're a member of the Murder Mavens, you're basically a group of women in their, I would say, 60s through 80s uh, year old, and you're all part of a a weekly book club. Um, And uh, you all read... Uh, a particular series of mystery novels and are, are totally enthralled by those. And that has given you that and your past uh, have given you all the tools that you need to solve these murders when the local law enforcement can't first game was fun. Uh, Ken is in it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It's uh, it's, it's, a, I gotta say it's challenging, right? Because part of the shtick is that it is not um you're kind of building the mystery as you go mm-hmm. right and so it's kind of like a framework for role playing where you're you're discovering the clues but we don't necessarily know what the mystery we're building the mystery as you go as opposed to say something like trail of cthulhu where all the clues are there you're going to discover them over time but there is actually a larger mystery that the author wrote yes right yeah and and that is one of the things that really drew me to Brindlewood bay is um and i I'm totally going to steal it for other role-playing games is most of the murder mysteries are one or two sheets of paper. And most of those sheets of paper are the, they call them the suspects, you know, but basically everyone who's involved in that murder mystery. And uh, there's a series of clues that are listed, but there's no rhyme or reason for what the clues are or do Um, because what ends up happening is after you, after the murder mavens have discovered a certain number of clues, they come up with their theory of who done it and they roll an actual check 
adding in the number of clues to it. And if they get over a certain result, they're correct. And so there isn't, it, it's not like a typical murder game where there's like one clue might lead to another clue or one location might lead to another location. You know, you're given several locations at the beginning. You're, you know, like, like in this case, they were talked to by the local sheriff and who was bringing them in and they told them where the murder happened. They told them where the body's being stored uh, and they told them who all was involved with it. And so basically they're now the murder mavens in whatever order they want to, they can split up. They don't have, you know, they can do whatever they can go research at the library. They can look up whatever, but it's all up to them to choose what direction they're going in. And then there's actually a skill trying to remember the name of the skill, but there's a skill that you can roll, uh, that basically says I'm looking for a clue. And if you roll well enough, you find a clue. Uh, and then if you roll exceedingly well, you find a clue for that underlying supernatural paranormal secret society. Right. Yeah. So in this, I think I felt like, so I hadn't played it before. Um, and so I think, it reminds me some of Fiasco, where Fiasco is a game that you're kind of you're doing something similar, right? Like there's a playbook. Mm -hmm. There are certain elements to that playbook that you will build upon. But at the end of the day, exactly what horrible thing is going to befall your characters, the order, the relationships between those characters and the nature of the flip that's going to happen. Right. Um, actually, I guess I think the flip is actually usually codified. Um, but in any case, Fiasco is very much about building it on the fly. And I think it puts you in an interesting headspace as a player because we're used to having a lot more structure. Right. And so you kind of have to like take that part of your brain off the hook and be like, no, we're building it as we're going along. And I'm just, I'm just going to lean into that. <laughs> and it's challenging. Part of the reason I think I like Brindlewood Bay and, uh, and some other games like it uh, are one I've have always wanted to play fiasco and never had a chance. Um, <laughs> but uh, I own it, read it, Never had a chance to play it. But the other thing is, is like when you first get into role playing, you don't realize there's a plot. You don't realize necessarily that you're in a module. You're like, hey, I want to do this thing, you know, and, right. you know, uh, if you have a good GM, you can do that thing. Um, you know, if you're if, and I. Let me walk that back a little bit. If your GM is good thinking on their feet. Uh, yes, you can yeah, do a good that thing because there are plenty of GMs who are great, but won't necessarily be able to handle a curveball or could handle a curveball 90% of the time. But you might be there that one day that they just can't handle a curveball. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that's what reminds me of like the early, early days of role playing for me was a very loose framework and the players drove what was happening. And that's always the game that I've liked to play. Uh, yeah, uh, Brindlewood Bay, uh, that was fun. And then my Sunday group, uh, still, still having problems with, with meeting on Sundays in the summer. I'm hoping that once, you know, now that school has started for everybody and, uh, it's not as nice to go out to a beach or something like that, we'll have more games. I think the most frustrating part for me is, you know, like, like this last Sunday, it was an hour before we were going to start. And I was like, hey, so are we gaming? And then it was like, yeah, I'm good. 
it's like, uh, no, I'm not feeling so good. Uh, I'm going to have to call it, you know, it's like, it's the last minute things. Yeah. You can feel the wheels starting to come off the bus and you're like, well, no, we could do this with three tires. We can right. do it with three tires. Right. And then like the engine catches on fire and you're like, no, I can still do it. I just, it's, it's okay. Yes. We just got to nurse her in. Yes. And then, you know, yes. They start shooting at you and then, you know, the metaphor explodes as does your campaign. So exactly. Yes. <laughs> so hopefully uh, next week, maybe, as I said, uh, I had to cancel this last Thursday because uh, I had my my second colonoscopy. Uh, I had one five years ago and they found some stuff uh, that was benign. And so they said, hey, go in again. And uh, so found a couple pieces, uh, a couple more things. Um, and they snip those out and I'll get the results back on those in about two weeks. But I'm expecting those will hopefully be benign again. Um, but they said, if you, if you start having the, the polyps, I'll just say it. If you start having the polyps, you will most likely continue to get polyps, but most people don't get, they really start screening for those at age 50. But I had noticed some things five years ago that made them say, Hey, well, you should get a, get one back then. And then, so now I'm, I'm on a regular five, five year, five year schedule. So series of ongoing five year missions. Yes. Yes. I was prepping for that. And it was, that was, I I mean, the prep for that is, you know, you have to be empty. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) Okay. Um, And uh, that wasn't so bad. That has never been bad in both of these times, but the stuff you have to drink. Oh my gosh. That is tastes a little like NyQuil, like red NyQuil. Um, Okay. Imagine drinking an entire bottle of it in one go Uh. and then doing that the next morning again. So it just, it had this really weird, horrible chemical saccharine taste. Um, Since you do mix it with water, uh, I highly suggest you refrigerate it. And then (laughs) uh, before you're going to have it uh, for a couple hours at least, and then put ice in it. And so that, you know, um, you don't, there's not really a smell to it that I rec- really recognize, but it, you don't taste it as much. So that gotcha. was, that was good uh, to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in a, in a couple of years when, uh, when you might go in for your first, you know, you'll have all this advice ready. I'll have this bit of advice in the back yeah. of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, overall the procedure's fine. Um, you know, and, and it's, it was, it was pretty easy and there's not a lot of recovery other than recovering from anesthetic afterward. Gotcha. Also for last week, since we didn't, we didn't meet last week, um, I totally messed up bullet journaling. Um, you know, uh, and I, no, no, you can't mess it up. Everybody uh, just does it their own way. <laughs> well, my messing, no it up, wrong my messing it up was I didn't transfer. I didn't do the migration from August to September. Um, I've since done most of it. I think I need to look through it again. And that's the second part of where I've messed it up is because I was, I was teaching last week. I didn't bullet journal at all last week because I didn't have things. I didn't have time in the morning and in the evening I was already dead tired and basically just watched some TV. I didn't have a lot of things to do. Uh, so um, I'm getting back into it. I think tomorrow will be my first real official getting back into it thing. But I'm still in, I'm still, 
enjoying it and doing well with it uh, for the most part, I think. The one thing that I'm going to start doing with it is it's really weird because it's only just this weekend that my wife and I started talking about it. But we're going to do a five-year plan to buy a boat and start sailing the world. Partially inspired by my friend Bob. He was part of Stargate Cafe, which is a podcast uh, audio drama from years ago. He's bought a an old 40-year-old boat and has been refurbishing it a little bit. And uh, I talked to him again this weekend. And he's. I was like, so is the invite to go visit and sail on the boat, you know, still open, you know, cause we were thinking about doing it, but then COVID. Right. So we're like, and it, so it's like, you know, how about next year? He's like, yeah, but you, but you might need to fly down to the Caribbean or the Bahamas and meet us. Cause evidently they're going to sail the boat out, you know, Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, out through St. Lawrence Seaway, all the way down the Eastern seaboard and then tool around the Caribbean for a while. Wow. Yeah. So he's, He's, uh, he's doing pretty well. Uh, like not, he's not rich. I'm not, that's not what I mean by doing real well, but like he's, he's got his plan for still working remotely, uh, still, still having an income and yet being in the Caribbean, you know, hanging out on a boat, doing, doing the stuff down there and, you know, selling his house, getting a storage unit for maybe the stuff that they want to keep that they don't want to put on the boat that sort of stuff. And, uh, it just sounds like a really cool situation. Wow. I told Aaron about it and she's always loved sailing. And she's like, that actually sounds really cool. And like started, she went, when you start, when she starts doing research, she does research, <laughs> digs in and sinks her teeth into it. All this last weekend, I was doing a little bit here and there, but all this last weekend I was hearing about, you know, it's like, okay, well, there's the monohulls and the catamarans and the trawler style. I think I like the trawler style because it'll give us a little more room, but the trawler style has an engine but no sail, uh, so we'd have to pay for gas. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know? And and she, we're, like, going down the YouTube rabbit hole plus doing a bunch of research. She's on boat brokerage sites looking at prices for boats. Um, she then went to Facebook, evidently, uh, because of covid the prices are are much higher right now, um, but also if you go through a broker, the brokerage fees are much higher as well. Um, and so we're uh, she was looking through Facebook at, at certain ones that uh, um, and if, and it's been significantly cheaper if you you know do a for sale by owner sort of purchase. Wow, that's that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say I love I love the idea of sailing. Uh, I read all of the the Patrick O'Brien uh, Mastery Commander books. Got it. Um, but I get seasick at the drop of a hat. <laughs> so <laughs> evidently, evidently, you can get through that in like a day or so if you're on the ship for that long or on the boat. That's what for they that tell long. me. That's what they tell me. Right. I'm I'm terrible. I'm totally <laughs> terrible. And that's one of those things. Like my my son and I are going on this big high adventure uh, backpacking trek next year. And uh, one of the other things you can do in Scouts is a thing called Sea Base, which is a similar thing, but on the water, on a sailing ship in Florida, in and around the Keys. It's like cool. 12 days out on a boat. I love the idea of it, but I, I think I would spend the first two days just puking continuously. Probably. <laughs> Given probably. prior experience, but I've never spent a day on a boat. 
I've I've only gotten seasick once, and I blame uh, not only the choppy waves but the diesel fumes as we were chugging back that into harbor. Uh, like I was just no, I wasn't throwing up, but I was very queasy. That was the that was the the same excursion when my wife and I were the first people ever to ask for less rum in our rum punch. <laughs> Yeah, you get free drinks as we're coming back. You know, it's like free rum punch. And we're like, we just want Kool-Aid. Just, just, we want something cold to drink, but not with alcohol in it, please. And <laughs> and they didn't have any of that, which is funny. Uh, that they were like, you were the first people that have ever asked for less rum. That show, also shows you how much we drink. So it's interesting. You know, five years, uh, my kid's will all be either in college or just out of college. We're definitely in the research phase and a lot of things can change from here to five years. Having the plan is really kind of energized us both of like, yeah, this sounds really cool. Frankly, it really terrifies me because of all the unknowns. Um, but that's what the research is going to get rid of a lot of those. Right. And then uh, I think last but not least is my picking up of... Uh, some comics that I have enjoyed uh, in the past. It's going to be a big letdown after the five-year plan. But Humble Bundle had a, <laughs> well, at least for the next 17 hours, so in the past for you guys, sorry, uh, a Judge Dread 2000 AD Humble Bundle. So a lot of the comics that came out of 2000 AD, including Judge Dread, a huge smash of comics. Um, and I've really liked those for a long time. Have yet to really dig into those yet, though. How much? So how many comics are we talking here? Are they like? Is this going to take you the next five years to read them? Uh, it might. Let's see. There's, you know, so they've got Absalom, Halo Jones, Zenith, uh, Brink, a bunch of Judge Dread. Uh, let's see. Let's do a quick count here. Thirty nine comics, but the Judge Dread ones are their case files books, so I think they're actually graphic novels. So there's like, okay. so from what I can tell. There's like 29 graphic novels that I don't think wow. they're individual. Yeah, so you'll comics. be busy for a while. <laughs> I'll probably be busy for a while. Some of them I will be, uh, I might read, I might not read, uh, but I'll at least uh, give them a chance to I'll, I'll look at them uh, at least to see if I want to read them. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where my fringe comics come, come in, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, back when I was a boy scout, we used to pick up, uh, newspapers for recycling and we'd, we'd drop them off the recycling plant. And then uh, this was one of the, this was back in the day where they would pay you by, I think it was by the ton of newspaper. <laughs> um, so we had a bunch of pickup trucks and then that would fund some of the Boy Scout. But the place that uh, my dad and I would go to would be the local drugstore. And so we would get all of the old newspapers because they just ripped the the title part off if the newspaper didn't sell and send those back to get a refund. But that would also include all of the comic books that didn't sell and uh, a bunch of the magazines that didn't sell. One of which was heavy metal magazine, uh, which is where, oh, wow. which is where judge dread came, uh, you know, was, right. was printed in. And so, you know, we, we'd pick those up and I'd go through all the magazines and comics and stuff and, and read those. Um, so it was a very, cheap way to keep up with comics but it also got me into more uh, less mainstream comics like the stuff that came through heavy metal it was a lot of fun 
I don't know, when the first Judge Shredd movie with Sylvester Stallone came out, I was pretty pumped. I thought it was okay, but uh, not really Judge Dredd. Yeah, I was going to say. That was my understanding as well. Not having read a lot of Judge Dredd, but... Well, the thing is, with Judge Dredd, the tone shifts wildly depending upon who's writing it and such. So some of it can be very cartoony, like the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd, but it can also be super-duper serious, like the Carl Urban Judge Dredd. I was just going to say. And so both... so. Having not read Judge Dredd, I can, you know, most people going into either of those movies might be turned off from it. But if you're if you're a fan, you're like, oh, this is like this series of comics and it all fit in the comic book world of Judge Dredd. Yeah. So I'll be reading for a while. Um, And if I don't uh, get it done within five years, I'll have a lot of comics to read on the boat. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So, uh, so speaking of boats, I, I have been on the water, just not on a, not on a very large watercraft. So yeah, I was going to ask you what um, you were, what you were doing the next last couple of weeks while I was doing all this crazy stuff. So I went on a 10 mile canoe trip on the Delaware river. Nice. Um, which is a f- fairly, you know, I mean, compared to the Mississippi, it's a small river. Um, but it's notable, right? Like it separates New Jersey from, uh, Pennsylvania. It goes all the way down to Delaware, at which point it, or. Yeah, Delaware and Philadelphia, where it starts to get very large once you get down by Philly. Um, and so uh, by us, we have this thing called the Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area. And uh, the, the story is kind of cool. Uh, back in like, the mid-50s, there was a massive flood that came through, and it just completely um, drenched and submerged large chunks of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, including huh. Easton. Like I think Easton was like, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was like 18 feet underwater. I mean, we're Oof. talking, there were buildings that the the high water mark was taller than me. So it's probably, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating, but 12, like they, it just, we have a bridge that goes across the Delaware. That bridge broke because mm. the water was hitting the bottom of the bridge. Right. <laughs> and tore the stress, just ripped the, the bridge apart. Right. Right. So that, right. that's it's a significant amount of water. So I may not be yes. exaggerating. So anyway, so like we got a great plan because now you know why I'm terrified of, of sailing. At this right. point, because water, <laughs> yeah, water can be very terrifying. <laughs> water is a powerful thing. Well, yep. Don't don't mess with water. Right. Uh, and so that's what I what I try and teach my kids and, and the scouts we're with and everybody else. Like, I think people underestimate the power of water and it gets them into a lot of trouble. Um, but in this case, in the 50s, we had a plan and that plan was damn everything. Yep. Uh, which is to me to say build a dam. And build so a they dam, were going to build levy, et cetera. Control right. everything. So they were gonna they were gonna build a, a dam largely for flood control purposes, but also for hydroelectric uh, generation for New York City. Um, and so they they condemned all this massive swath of land um, on the New Jersey and Pennsylvania sides of the Delaware, up uh, probably about an hour north of me. Um, and so then you know you get into the sixties, you get into the seventies, people start pushing back against this idea and uh, and saying, well, you know what, uh, like we don't we don't actually want the dam. Um, but the federal government had bought all this land, so they mm. turned it into this national recreation area, which has cool. been a great boon for our area because now it's a great place for hiking and camping. And uh, the Appalachian Trail runs through the New Jersey side, and a wee bit, I think, of the Pennsylvania side. It's a great place to go canoeing. So cool. um, it's it's fairly mild uh, rapids. So the Delaware, um, at least the section we were on, was like 
class one rapids, which are really little ones, and uh, ripples, which are like below ra- uh, below um, below rapids. Right. I think on our particular because we we're canoeing in August, the river was pretty low, so uh, I think we hit one one set of true class one rapids. Um, which was enough to swamp one of the canoes. So that was, it's funny, I've gone canoeing many times in my life. I have never swamped a canoe. On this trip, we swamped two canoes. And so I got to discover exactly how hard it is to get water out of a canoe. It is not easy. The best way to swamp a canoe, don't pay attention to what you're doing. That, I'll just say that. Uh, we swamped ours and we were talking with some friends, uh, my wife and I, we were, we're going and we're like, we're getting really close to that. You know, the, there was like some, some branches just hanging over the, not even hanging in the water, but they're hanging it at human and canoe height. And we're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta go out. And we had managed to, I think if we had another foot, we would have been fine before we got to it. But we, when we got to it, we were sideways and a branch hit the port side just the very top which of course has the most leverage to just turn it yes sideways and then all of a sudden you have a cup filling with water and the whole the whole thing fills and we're we are out yeah that was the only time i've swamped a canoe but yeah once it starts it's you're there you're not stopping it <laughs> yeah when i was a kid with my parents and uh my sister and I went canoeing on the Delaware. It was my first ever canoeing trip. And uh, and they approached the first set of rapids. And they, let's just say they perhaps were discussing their approach to the rapids more than they should have been. And perhaps approaching should have been <laughs> a right. bit more on the actual getting through the rapids rather than debating the merits of different ways to go through. So we went sideways. Mm-hmm. Okay. We hit a big rock in the middle of the river. And then the river, the, the, the canoe flips. Yep. And so... Um, then the canoe wraps around the rock because it was actually an aluminum canoe. Oh, which, oh. so uh, it broke the canoe. You know, well, no, actually, it bends it back. We still have the canoe. Oh, okay. Um, but it's yeah, so it just kind of submerged the canoe. The canoe kind of bent, and like fortunately, there were other canoeists in the area. They came by, picked up my sister and I, and then eventually we we got off of it. But that was our first and last set of rapids on that particular trip, and we didn't go canoeing with my parents again. Um, <laughs> subsequently, my wife and I inherited the canoe, and so, and so we've gone canoeing, especially before the kids were born. Um, we used to do a fair amount of canoeing on the Delaware, both here in Easton and further up the river in Delaware, Water Gap. Um, but I had not personally swamped a canoe, and I still haven't. Um, it was actually other people on our trip who had swamped it. And, and it wasn't really their fault. They were going through the rapids, and they just caught uh, they just caught it a little wrong. Canoes tend yep. to be a little tippy. Yes. Right? And so uh, they had they were riding low in the canoe as they should, but it was, it's just one of those things. Once you start to go, you just, you just kind of go. It's not as forgiving as a raft. Like if you go white, yes. where we also go whitewater rafting and on a um, raft and a raft tends to bounce off of rocks. Um, yep. It's hard to mess those up. They're a little yep. more forgiving. Um, canoes, not forgiving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not forgiving. I mean, they'll uh, still, they'll still float just even, even full. Yes. They won't sink. So, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can get all the water out of them. You know, we we yes. were in a part of the the creek that we could stand in. It was like up to our chest, but we could stand in it. And so we, you know, turned it sideways. We lifted it up over our heads and we put it back down. Getting in was fun, but uh, oh yes, <laughs> but but you know that was. Uh, but yeah, it's it is uh, definitely not the same as um, a raft or a tube. Uh, going down because right. those just pop right back out you know you might fall off but but they're fine 
right. you know, yeah, unless exactly. you pop and so that's the, you know, that's the thing. Like, I think, you know, I, I always, the Delaware is a, is a smaller river by the, in the great scheme of things, but I always tell everybody who will listen to me and haha, listeners, you have to listen to me. I suppose you get applause. Uh, but you know, you gotta be safe, right? Like you gotta, you gotta wear your, um, your life vest and don't take it off just cause you're in the middle of the river and it's a hot day. Yep. Um, the Delaware is a river that people try and swim across and unfortunate things happen because there's strong currents in places that you can't see. Right. And so right. this is the thing, like, you know, talking about sailing, like there's a lot of stuff you got to learn and learning is fun, but you like, don't just go, ah, you know, whatever. Yep. Yeah. Uh, like things like you should stay with the canoe, right? Like if the canoe swamps going through, that's okay because the canoe is going to continue to float. Don't panic. Yep. As Douglas Adams taught us, don't uh, panic. Do not panic. Yep. <laughs> don't panic. Always have your um, towel. Yes, and always have your towel. Even yes. if your towel got soaked, it can dry out. Um, <laughs> so we've actually been spending a lot of time up in the Delaware Water Gap. So we went. We also went for a five mile hike. It was supposed to be an overnight backpacking trip, but uh, we had the remnants of a hurricane come through. And uh, discretion being the better part of valor, we decided that perhaps. Perhaps backpacking in the remnants of a hurricane was not a great idea. So we hmm. turned it into a day hike. That's probably a good idea. If and not then, for uh, just avoiding the mud. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, this coming weekend, I'm actually going, this is going to be uh, the, the trip we were going to do. So it's going to be a 20 mile, two and a half day backpacking trip. And I get to try out my new piece of gear, which is a hiker uh, micro filter by uh, Katadin. I haven't actually said this in uh, aloud. Um, cool. So this is the part I think I mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts. If people had told me that there was so much geeky gear, I would have gotten into backpacking <laughs> earlier. Uh, but this is a this is a water <clears throat> filtration thing. Like we're going to be hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and so there are water sources, but they are not uh, potable water. Right? You actually have mm -hmm. to you know boil your water or have some sort of filtration system for dealing with the water. And so this will be my first ever attempt at doing this. So that should be fun. So is that um, is uh, how big is that? Um, device. it's actually, it's actually pretty small. Like it's, it's, uh, it's probably about the size of like your average, um, like one liter water bottle, maybe a little okay. bit bigger. Okay. Um, it can pump a liter of water in under a minute. Got it. Um, cause there's a, a friend of mine when, when he would, he would go <laughs> backpacking, he showed us, uh, something, um, uh, I think it's called the life straw. Um, yes, and it, literally, it's a very thick straw. Uh, but I think it's only like a couple of uses. Um, I'm yes. not, I'm not sure, but you basically just lean down by the stream and can suck right out of it if you want. Um, that is the idea we have. My, my son and I have, uh, have life straws and we've never actually used them. Um, but you can also, there's also like a gravity fed one where like if you're camping overnight and you have a stream of water nearby and you want to, you know, get like five or 10 liters of water overnight, then you can basically put it into this bag. It filters it through something like a life straw into, um, into whatever water bottles you're carrying for the next cool. day. So um, that should be cool. I, I, I tried it out in my sink, like I was saying. Um, it worked. So okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it this weekend. Um, and in spite of all of this, I kind of fell off my exercise routine. I think, um, you know, a lot of times, I think when people like talk about the, the part, what's working about their exercise routine, but perhaps <laughs> because maybe it's a little embarrassing, you know, uh, you don't want to talk about your failures, right? Like, I just we went on vacation and I've had a hard time getting back into my regular routine. Part of that was because I was doing this 10 K training routine. Mm -hmm. um, and I backed off from that cause I was starting to feel it too much. Um, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to like hurt my knees or what have you, but right. I haven't found a good substitute. I find routines keep me motivated. Like we talked about like the 5k training routine, like having something that like, 
okay, and this is what you do next, and this is what you do next. So I got my bike out and rode that for 10 miles the other day. So I think cool. maybe maybe that'll be it. Find a good biking routine and get out. It's easier on the knees. Yeah. yeah. At a 48, you need things that are easy on your knees. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, uh, the, my teaching last week and the procedure last week uh, definitely threw me off the, uh, my, my own walking schedule. So I'm trying to get back into it. Uh, I even tried to get my uh, treadmill repaired. It, and it, was, it has basically this infinite loading bar that shows up. And I was trying to get it repaired tried to order the parts for it and it's like oh yeah we uh we ran out of those sorry oh my but we'll give you 25 percent off of a brand new treadmill it's like oh i'll talk to you about it later <laughs> so gonna see what i can do myself with the multimeter but uh i don't I, I don't have high hopes i i am slowly getting back into the the walking at least six to ten thousand steps a day yeah, I'm actually, so I've, I've also, I mean, it's, it hasn't been nothing, right? Like I've gone for a run here and there. I've gone for like walk here and there. I am motivated to get back to my morning uh, walking routine uh, because I have nine hours left in um, the wise man's fear. Yeah. That <laughs> was a big, need that, to finish the book. <laughs> that was a, yeah. And maybe that's what I need to do is pick up another audiobook Cause that was my big motivator to, to go walking as much as I did was like, Oh yeah, if I go walking, I can listen to more audiobook, you know. Uh so Right. Yeah. Yeah. You should do that. And you get a good one, it becomes a real page turner. Yes. Know? And we'll get into that in a little bit, but um I it's a great motivation to to listen to stuff. And so uh I did I, I, I suppose you might be able to uh I, I didn't bring them upstairs to show you. Um this might fit into a workout because the books are freaking huge. Uh I added two things to my summer reading list. Um, it's the Aliens 30th edition, 30th edition original series comic book collection. Okay. So it's, I think, the original six, eight issue series. Uh, black and white art um, came out in the late 80s before Aliens 3 was released. Okay. Uh, it's a direct sequel to, um, to the movie Aliens. And so it features the continuing stories of Hick, Hicks and Newt. Um, so taking place like 10 later. So it diverges from the movie. If it continues with their story well, yeah years so later. it diverges alien 3 nerfs the whole thing got it so um nerf to, uh, nerf isn't even the right word just completely obliterates everything storyline yeah yeah so alien 3 spoilers uh <laughs> newton hicks don't make it through the first like five minutes of the movie yeah um which i always found disappointing i think i think i may have actually i'm trying to remember the right order in which i discovered these because this was when i was first getting into comic books and so i think I think I probably read the comics first. And so that was a disappointment for me for aliens three was disappointing for me for a variety of reasons. But in any case, they released this in kind of like a prestige format. It is just a huge, big, beautiful book. It's nice and thick. And, uh, and the artwork is just truly fantastic. I mean, it's this beautiful black and white art. I was always partial to black and white art myself. Um, and so that was really cool. And then I picked up the second one, which collects the follow-up series, uh, nightmare asylum and earth war. Uh, which are the ongoing adventures and Ripley shows up at some point. Um, and that's in color, but it's Got a it. similar, like nice, thick, heavy book. So cool. those, uh, those are pretty good. And I think so that the other thing that's really nice about them is, as we said, originally, these were the stories of, of Hicks and Newt 10 years after approximately, I'm guessing here, uh, the events of aliens. Um, when alien three was released, they decided uh, rather than kind of doing the whole like legacy thing or alternative history or whatever, they tried to retrofit it into the larger canon of aliens. 
So they renamed, I wrote this down, Newt became Billy and Hicks becomes Wilkes. So they redid right? so the comic books, or they re, when they reissued it, they changed oh, okay. all the names. Okay, so right? these so are basically all of the reprints, totally different people, they, right? Okay. Except you know they have the whole back, like it is strongly implied they have a very similar backstory to what we saw in Aliens, right? Right. So they changed the names, right? Um, except for Ripley, I think Ripley was always Ripley, but uh, Newt and Hicks, um, which I mean, the whole storylines—they don't even con- like they don't really converge all that well with the whole larger Alien mythos. It was a bad idea back then, but I'm I'm happy to say that they fixed it, and so the, for these reissues, they have gone back to the original names, which is great because then cool. you don't have to constantly be translating them in your head, right? As you're reading through the book, right? So yeah, that was a that was a business decision that was not well thought out. I think is what it sounds like, because if they're trying yes. to fit it into the canon with the air quotes. You know, where are they going to fit it in? So if it's 10 years after Aliens, but then Alien 3 has happened, but that means Ripley's dead until Alien 4. So how does the that fit in at all? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just a completely uh, 20th Century Fox nonsense, right? Yeah. So um, not, really not knowing how to manage a franchise is really what it comes down to. But, you know, now Disney owns... Aliens, which is really does that make the alien? Oh, that's true. 20th century princess. Oh, wow, a Disney princess. Oh, wow. I have to tell my wife that's that's (laughs) hilarious. I don't, yeah, I don't possibly. Yeah, there are a few properties I think from 20th century Fox that did not go to Disney, but I don't know about the alien franchise. I think it, I think it did because I was reading because Dark Horse lost the license, Marvel has it now. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah then that's probably the case. I think Predator went as well. So in any case, I mean, it's a good story. Um, you know, it, it might hit a little too close to home. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about infection and how uh, people and civilization uh, reacts to uh, the spread of infection mm-hmm. um, and what happens when you can't contain infection. So obviously, you know, uh, this may not be uh, what you're interested in reading during the COVID times. But if you're an alien fan and you want to go back to see what an aliens that could have been, I would, I would recommend picking it up. I know that uh, one of our one of the podcasters that we follow have or have followed in the past, uh, who is also an, also an author, Scott Sigler. Um, he has written some short stories in the Alien that are canon in the Alien franchise. So um, I had I don't know which which book it is, and I don't even know if that book is out yet because I um, I'm way behind on his podcast. So I'm was just hearing it um within this last year i believe so. it's i believe it's it's aliens phalanx yes is, uh, that is it and it's set i think with like in greek times right like it's uh oh is it if i remember i think okay. so i'm, I'm looking let's see what, yeah it's medieval so the, the 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 teaser says medieval carnage meets alien as a pre-industrial society fights against extinction brought about by a massive infest- infestation of xenomorphs got it so okay um that i was not aware of so um i just knew he was in it so um it might be interesting to pick up yeah i'm trying to think so i think i think it came out oh yeah it came out earlier this year it came out just before (laughs) just before covid february 2020 okay that's probably (laughs) why we all went into lockdown so yeah looking for late additions to that summer reading list because summer goes until the 21st got it of september that is (laughs) (laughs) so talking about books we thought we would talk a little bit about um, 
how we like to read books. Yep. Yep. And uh, and different formats. And I actually had I, I went old school for uh, the book I just read on my on my summer reading list. It was uh, I am Banks. Um, uh, I shouldn't say the latest book in the latest culture book that I've read, which is Extension. Extension. Um, and so I rated it. I got it in print because I couldn't get it for the Kindle for whatever reason. They haven't released digital or audio versions of this, so I was hmm. forced to get the print version. And uh, you know, the book was broken because you couldn't enlarge print. You had to put on glasses in order to see the text bigger. Um, <laughs> it's like reading a so, PDF on the Kindle. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's oh, that's a. I don't know that I've actually tried that. More you than once. you can uh like I I've done it with actually I did it with Brindlewood Bay when I was when I was reading it um and then I was like nope I'm not going to do this I'm going to print it out uh but it was you can pinch and zoom uh into certain areas and then you have to drag with your finger and dragging is at least on the Kindle that I have uh is pretty smooth. But then, like page turning, it does the whole flicker, and then you have to figure out where you are, etc. So, right. yeah, it's it it has it is better. My old Kindle had broken, which was one of the original ones with the keyboard on the bottom. Ooh, really old school. Yeah, the one that would actually read the book to you because it had a headphone jack as well. It was really hard to to read on that. But the my current Kindle, which is which is five six years old now. It handles it pretty well, but not as good as like a tablet or a computer. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, print books. I love them. Still love them. <laughs> Grew up on them. Uh, you might notice, uh, well, Ken, you'll, you notice, but I don't know if we'll ever release the video of this, but uh, I have some bookshelves behind me um, that, that go around the corner of my room. So, uh, yeah, it's. I love the print books. Always have. Love the smell. Being able to find exactly where you were. I have a really hard time. I know this isn't reading a fiction book or even a nonfiction book, but <clears throat> for gaming books, I really love print books because I get a muscle memory sort of thing of where is this rule in this book, you know? And I'll just open it up, open the book up, and there it is. And I can't do that with a PDF. Right. If the publisher is really good, they'll put in a good table of contents and index, but not all of them are. Right. Uh, I love print books. Yeah, me too. I think um, I always make an effort to read at least a couple of print books uh, during the summer. Um, we typically go on vacation in Vermont, and uh, when we when we do that, we stay with some friends who, as I think I mentioned before, they have a this cabin that's very rustic, uh, solar power, but you know. You don't know it's going to fail, right? And so the great thing about print books is as long as you have sunlight, you can read them. The batteries don't run out. Um, yep. Yeah, you know, if you lose them in a lake, you're kind of messed up, but um, they, they can take a lot of punishment. Um, you know, so if you, uh, you know, say if, if you are camping and <clears throat> someone throws their backpack on top of your backpack and your Kindle's not in a good case, oh, um, oh, smashed. Oh, that can happen twice. Oh, two separate Kindles. Oh. Until you finally get smart enough to get a good case. Get a good case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Books can take a lot of punishment. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think as I've gotten older, uh, the, you know, the font thing is, is definitely a, a challenge for me. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, and, and it's not that big of a deal to read, to wear glasses when I'm reading, but it's, it's a newer thing. I didn't have to do that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these books, like the culture book that I read, the font was 
it's a, it is on the smaller side of a print paperback. Uh, you know, you know, if you're reading like a nice hardcover where, you know, it's, he's got lots of, um, line spacing and what have you, that's a little bit of an easier read, but some of these right. paperbacks where the text is very dense, you know, it can be, eye strain can be a thing, even if you're not 40 something. Right. Um, but you know, the, the flip side to it is I have so many books. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many books. Um, and I have so many role-playing books. I think I probably have as, as many as you do on my shelf uh, over here. And so I'm down with, when it comes to role-playing games, I definitely want to have a print book. I like having the PDF as well for very for different reasons because, you know, for looking up during a game and um, quick reference if I'm at a con or something like that, you know, it's much easier to carry my iPad around than it is to carry around a big stack of books. Mm-hmm. But I will always, with a role-playing game, want to default to the, to the Dead Tree edition. Yeah, uh, I mean, so it sounds like you're very similar to me, where, um, like, most books, unless I'm checking them out from the library, which I uh, I really love our local library, they're, they're great, where the last place we lived uh, for a long, you know, we lived there for 16 years, um, had a horrible library. So I hadn't gone to a library in a while, and, and this one is, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. If I'm not picking out books from the library i have a really hard time letting them leave my house again (laughs) you know i've got a lot of books they're in storage in the basement they're on the the bookshelves some of my more favorite ones are on the bookshelves here like uh i've got a family friend of ours who's unfortunately since passed away he was really into science fiction and fantasy and he gave me a two-volume set of uh hardcovers of chronicles of amber series oh yes i love those books (laughs) i've got those uh you know i've got i've got a really old edition of the hobbit um that was actually given to my mom uh and she gave it to me um she wasn't a big fan of the hobbit but you know she knew i was getting into fantasy and stuff so she gave it to me i just I can't let them go. I don't know about you. I have a hard time with it. I think yeah. I had, there are certain books I will definitely hold on to. We used to have a used bookstore that I would sell some of my books at um, that I didn't have because I read so many books during my summer reading lists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless they're going to become a, a thing that I'm adding to my collection that I'm actually collecting purposefully rather than, because I, because I have so many books at this point, I've, I kind of got to this point where it was like, okay, look, I could keep all of the books, but if I'm never going to read this again, and I'm not going to sh- maybe share it with my daughter or my son, um, I'm, I'm, I got to let it go, or else <clears throat> my wife may may suggest <laughs> that I uh, she may aggressively suggest that I downsize my book collection. So, got it. Yeah, I I, I know I'm going to have to end up doing that as well, but it's still pretty cool when I'm going through and i'm get getting into the you know the old school gamer sort of feel and i go through a, my old games but then come across a small collection of choose your own adventure books yes. or things like yes. that it's hard to let them go i love it them it is so very hard to let them go <laughs> but that actually takes us right into the next one which is i love my kindle i really love the e-reader for certain books because you have it. They're all there. And even if they're not downloaded, as long as you get Wi-Fi, they're still available. I mean, if someone breaks your Kindle by throwing stuff onto your backpack when it's not in a good case, <laughs> you still don't lose the books. You, you just have to get a new device to read them on, which can be expensive. I like the Kindle for some of that stuff. It doesn't have the tactile feel uh, of 
a paperback or a hardback, but having an integrated book light is really nice too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have I have the Kindle Paperwhite. Um, mm-hmm. That was the one I had upgraded to a couple of years ago. Broke twice now, or I think I'm on my third one at this point. Which is, yeah, folks, make sure you have a good cover. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> on the plus side, they give you a discount for upgrading your Kindle. You know, if you break it soon <laughs> enough. Yeah, it's it's worth the fifteen or twenty bucks for a good cover. Indeed, indeed. Um, and so it's it's light. I mean, some of the books I read are pretty heavy. Uh, I, I got one for my son as well. He's been reading the um, uh, what you call it the uh, the Stormlight Archives books by Brandon Sanderson, and mm-hmm. these are twelve hundred page books. I mean, this is this is a a significant tome, right? Uh, and so you know him taking that to school every day. You know, that, that's a pretty heavy book, although I think he actually had to. I don't there's, think there's there's a reason why my right shoulder slopes down more than my left shoulder is because of all the books <laughs> in that backpack. So exactly, exactly. So um, I think he ended up taking lighter print books to school and reading the heavier books on his Kindle at home. But, you know, he, he talked about this, like he likes reading his Kindle because, you know, he likes to read on his back. And the heavy books, he would kept hitting himself in the face with the book. Right. So. <laughs> Like reading for so long that you're going to sleep and then the whole book falls <laughs> right. on your face. Well, okay. Got it. Got Sanderson it. book to the face is not, you know, that's not a, that's pretty a heavy. Nice thing. Yeah. Pretty heavy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I can make the font as big as I want. The backlighting is fantastic, especially when I'm backpacking. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is going to Philmont, they will not let you bring Kindles on the trail. They have a rule against electronics and you can't bring anything with you. So oh, I have no to bring electronics a at all. Book. No electronics. Got it. Okay. Um, which is a bummer. Uh, and not because I, I want to bring all my electronics, but because a Kindle is a lot lighter when you're, when yeah. you're packing yeah. uh, for 12 days, right? Um, but it's it's also handy for like reading at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, you wake up, can't get back to sleep. Um, I mean, honestly, the advice I've read is you, you really you should just get up and read. You shouldn't stay in bed and read. Right. Uh, but if you're going to break the rules, a Kindle makes it easier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even if you don't break the rules, still Kindle still makes it easier because then you don't have to turn yes. on a light. And then when I, with with backpacking, it's been so helpful. Even just car camping, like you know, it's it dusk, especially when you're camping in November or or January or something like that. It gets dark really early. It gets dark at like five o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, reading by headlamp, kind of challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've done more than my fair share of it, or maybe totally my fair share of it. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, you're balancing the lamp or the flashlight in your mouth or whatever, right? Like, it's it's awkward. The Kindle, the Kindle makes that easier. Yeah. I actually, I have something called uh, the light wedge, which is basically all the electronics are in, are in one, are on a side. And it is a, it is made to be right about the same size of a paperback book. And so you, and it, and the main part of it is basically a sheet of acrylic. And you put it in there and the edges are, the acrylic's clear, but the edges of the acrylic are frosted. And so they basically, it's just two AAA batteries and you turn it on and there's a single LED, but then it edge lights the entire acrylic, which lights the book up. And then you can just read through that acrylic page. And it's really nice. It's not as convenient as a Kindle with a backlight, but if you have a paperback book, it's it's better than a, a headlamp. It's a little more discreet than a headlamp if you have someone yes. in the same tent or the same bed with you and you're trying to read. Doesn't have the new book smell though. Does not. It totally lacks that. If you if someone out there made new book smell or old book smell, 
I mean, there's two fragrances right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. just some essential oils or that would get me right there. I would totally get that. My wife once got me a candle of campfire and you'd light it and it, it literally smelled like you had a campfire, you know, in that same room. So why can't they make new book smell? Right. I would do that. No, yeah, that's that's honestly that's why I like to do a mix of books during the summer because I do have the nostalgia and I do enjoy reading a physical book, but um I find I read faster if I read on a in an ebook. Hmm. Um I don't not exactly sure why, but I, I I just kind of blow through them. I think the the hardest part with a with an ebook is that it's difficult, and I think you alluded to this before, to flip between pages. Right, like to go back more than a few pages and go, wait a minute, who the heck is this guy? And I ran yeah. into this continuously in the culture book, where there's a lot of like he has very creative names for his characters, but I'm like, wait a minute, do I know this guy or not? Right, <laughs> right. And it was it was right. in the physical book, I could flip back to the previous chapter and say, okay, yeah, this is this person. Um, but in an ebook and and in audiobooks, which we also want to talk about, it's very difficult to kind of do that flip back a couple pages, flip back forward a couple pages. Yes. Yeah, audiobooks are even harder. It's kind of that muscle memory with a physical book. You can kind of do it, but depending upon what reader you're using, you can do searches as well. So the Kindle does try yes. and make it a little bit better in some ways. But yeah, but if you don't know what you're searching for. And there is, on the, on the current Kindles, there's this, this, this x-ray feature where you can select yep. a name and it will show you the other occurrences of that name within the book, which can oh, help cool. you with that, okay. that sort of thing. Um, cool. Doesn't always work, especially if it's kind of like a common name that that it just it, it has issues with, or or a common term that is being used. Like obviously the culture, it's going to mm -hmm. go. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, <laughs> culture is a fairly common word. Right. Um, right. But for individual pl uh, player names, individual character names, <laughs> uh, it works pretty well. Cool. Um, the uh, but audiobooks. I think that I find a feature. So, th so there's a drawback is you can't flip around in the book trying to look up things. The benefit is it forces you to read at the pace of the book. And so I read, I read very quickly. Um, and so I can uh, skip words occasionally, right? Like I'm getting all the context, but perhaps mm -hmm. I'm not reading every last sentence. Right. The audiobook is going to force you to read, really read. Yes. The book. Although you can speed the book up if your brain can keep you know, keep up with that. Like there are some books where the narrator is really slow and very like, I don't want to listen at this speed. And they sound about normal at like 1.15 or 1.2 <laughs> speed. Um, right. You know, so, it's, so I've, I've started listening to books a little bit faster than intended. Um, there are some narrators that I don't want to listen to faster, like Neil Gaiman 1.0 all the time, <laughs> you know, um, in fact, that's my current audiobook is an, it's an audiobook of the Sandman graphic novel. Oh, interesting. It is. It's, it's really cool. Uh, cause it's actually, it's narrated by the narrator is Neil Gaiman, but each of the characters have an, are individually voiced. I used to read Sandman when it was coming out in the early nineties usually in the shop because I was a poor college student, I would read it and it was, it was broken up into, you know, short, different short stories or different, different stories throughout time uh, with different characters and such. And so it was really, it was pretty cool to, 
listen to those again because I've still kind of got the hazy visuals in my head of when I read them the first time. You know, some of these people, I don't know if anybody would really recognize it, but the the one I definitely recognize, Andy Circus. Is oh, actually yes. one of the one of the one of the audio audio people. Uh Riz Ahmad, Kat Dennings, Taryn Edgerton, Neil Gaiman, James McAvoy, uh Samantha Morton, Babe Newerth, and Michael Sheen. Uh and it's eleven hours. It was really good. I liked it. And it was uh, I recommend it. I think I had talked about a memory called Empire the last time we talked. Or the last yes. two the last two that I've listened to. So I'm due another one. It feels different though. When I'm listening to an audiobook, I really want to go for a walk or do something. Because when I'm reading on a Kindle or I'm reading a physical, you know, paper book, um, my hands are occupied and occasionally move, uh, you know, to either tap a screen or turn a page. And I'm really focused on reading. But when I'm listening to it, my hands are idle and my eyes have nothing to look at. And so it's really hard for me to just listen to an audiobook and and consider that reading. I, you know, when I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm walking, perfectly fine. I have no problems at all. I'm totally focused on the audiobook other than my minor amount of focus for not walking into traffic. <laughs> Always good. Yes. But like I can't just sit down in a chair and listen. You know, I right, always say I have totally to be same way. I have to do something else at the same when I, while I'm listening. And but it, the 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 things I can do while listening are themselves limited. So right, like it's there's a certain level of like brain function, like it's it's like a different class of like so I can do yeah. it while I'm washing the dishes. Yes. But I can't do it while I'm working on my bullet journal. Right. Because right. obviously, like I'm trying to, even if I'm just copying tasks or yeah. like, just doing my weekly calendar, um, which is just kind of like the root looking at the screen, copying things down, uh, I still, I can't, can't do it. I've tried. It's, it's the um, part, it's the center, it's the centers of the brain that are, need to be active during those tasks um, or just the level of concentration. I, like, I've tried to listen to an audiobook and podcasts while working and inevitably, one either either I'll stop and I'll listen intently, um, or whatever's on and whatever's playing will just be on in the background. And until something catches my ear, I won't really be listening. Right. But like if I were to pull out my the the stuff I use to make chainmail, which I haven't done in a long time, but I imagine you know if I'm just putting together links with the pliers and dropping them into into containers to be assembled later that's just muscles working right you know i don't have to uh, think higher level thoughts or put things in 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 place you know just like you said with you know doing dishes cleaning the house whatever um does not require a lot of conscious thought so what i find interesting is that i have found more than a few people uh, including uh folks I respect who do not consider audiobooks to be to be reading a book. Um, they, you know, it's, it's like cheating or too easy. I'm not, I've never really quite gotten the, the full justification of it because someone mm -hmm. is reading to you. And so, but to me, I mean, you're comprehending it in a, 
and they've, they've done some studies on this as well, which I don't have in front of me, but like, you're still comprehending the book. Like when you got to the end of an audiobook, you have ingested all of the same content that you will have ingested if you had written the print book. So it's not like you didn't yep. consume content. <laughs> right. But it's, but it's a different, I'm not saying it's not reading, you know, it's very different than listening to a podcast, although maybe not so different, but you know, it's, it's different than watching a movie or watching a TV show. It's not, but like reading is with your eyes and the audiobooks is with your ears. And there, I mean, that is a very different set of centers of your brain that has to work in order to consume that media. Oh, <laughs> dog visits. My, my dogs have decided to come and say hello. So. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that it's not reading. Because it's the exact same content in a lot of times. You know, yes, there are abridged audiobooks, but I don't usually go and get those. Um, <laughs> I like the unabridged versions, but it's, yeah, it's just one of those things where I don't, I don't, I can still consider it reading, but I also don't consider it quite the same as reading it in a print or reading it on an e reader. I think. I think what it comes down to in some ways is that it is a more passive activity. It can feel like a more yeah. passive activity than, than reading um, with your eyes because your eye, you're, with your eyes, you're actively engaging the content and like you're scanning it, right? You're right. still comprehending it, building the scene, you know, these tableaus in your mind, in your mind's eye, the same as you would if you're listening. But um, I think that's a big part of it is that you're not being, it feels more active and less passive. One, that is one thing that I have noticed that is different between audiobooks and printed word books, uh, you know, ebooks and, and print books. I have a lot easier time of seeing it in my mind's eye if I'm reading it in print than I do listening to it. And I think it has partly to do with the fact that it's audio, but partly to do with the fact of the concentration. My hands are busy, my eyes are busy, and I'm reading it on in print whereas there's a certain passivity like you were kind of saying before of like it's it's coming into my ear hole and i don't have to do anything and i might be distracting myself with other things and so the images of the images of certain places don't pop into my head as much as they would maybe while while reading print now that's not always true you know like the wise man's fear and the the patrick Rothfuss books uh, the way I was listening to those and the Sandman books, um, all of those were very, and maybe it's because I was walking during those, um, but those, I definitely had more of a inner visualization of what was going on uh, than I have for most audiobooks, like while I'm driving. Yeah, and I, th I think it's easier to get distracted with an audiobook. Um, I think, especially when you're building kind of that, that mental image of the book, I think, because um, you'll just start to think about the day right mm -hmm. as you're walking and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you realize oh wait wait what <laughs> yeah and you got to kind of like refocus back up a few you know a little bit re-listen to what you just listened to yeah i just missed the last two minutes of audio what just happened right yes that will right. definitely happen in an audiobook the other uh, occupational hazard I, I have encountered in listening to books rather than reading them is you have no idea how anything is spelled mm-hmm Right. I have, I have no idea how anything is spelled in um, The Name of the Wind or A Wise Man's Fear um, because I'm not I'm listening to it. Right. And it's not like they're spelling yeah. out the words as you're reading. 
And so I ran into this when I was reading the Wheel of Time books, where I started off in print, I went into audio. And so then I went back to print when uh, Brandon Sanderson was finishing up the series, and I'm reading and going, who the hell is this person? Because <laughs> right? it's not spelled so, the way you think it's being pronounced. Right. Or I'm having a, a debate with one of my friends about how you pronounce Aes Sedai, which is the magic-using um, characters in the Wheel of Time books. And he's like, that's not how you say it. I'm like, well, that's how, like, the, you know, I don't know, 200 hours worth of audiobook <laughs> that I listened to pronounced it. So I'm going with Aes Sedai. When I was back reading it, I think I read up through book four or five, was we always pronounced it Aes Sedai, the, the group yes. of friends of mine. Just the way that it's spelled and the way that English pronunciation norm, like if you're phonetically pronouncing it, you like most, at least the friends, my friends and I who were all reading it about the same time, we all pronounce it that way. Um, so, but maybe that's not the way it's supposed to be pronounced. And I have the opposite problem in print, mm-hmm. where I'm terrible at, at at sounding things out phonetically. I, I I literally can remember ignoring those classes in middle school in favor of drawing space battles on my desktop. I can remember like <laughs> second and third grade, the teacher talking about how to sound things out phonetically and me being, I will never need to know this. Um, <laughs> Little did you know. Little did I know, right? Like, you know, it's all well and good when you're just reading the book yourself. But when you actually want to talk to someone about another character, uh, right. it helps to know actually how to pronounce the words, right? Right. So, uh, right. 30, 40 years on, I will admit that I was wrong. Like um, the movie Willow. I got the, the novelization of the movie. And in the movie, there it's uh, one of the females is Sorsha. But if but it's it's a very... Uh, I think Irish name. And if so, if you read it, you if you had read it first and didn't know about that sort of pronunciation, I would not have pronounced that, that, that spelling. I would not have pronounced Sorsha, you know? So it's like, yeah, it, there's, there's pronunciations like that all over the place um, that just don't quite fit English pronunciation guides. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's the opposite with audiobooks. Is you know how everything's pronounced, but you don't know how anything's spelled. So right. right. So <laughs> these are the dangers of uh, reading books. So yes. Um. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have. I'm not going to pick one over the others to read for the end of time. I think they each have their own benefits and their strengths. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, I just love books. So yes. Give them to me in whatever format. Stories. And I will figure out how to read them. That that's uh so there's one other that we actually don't have listed here. One of the reasons is I've never actually done it, but Amazon offers WhisperSync, where you get ah, the yes. print and the audiobook, and wherever you last left off in print, it will play for you an audio, and then when you pause that and go back to the print, it will fast forward basically your your Kindle version to that point. Have you ever used that? Have you ever tried that? No, I have not, but I was sorely tempted to with the wise man's fear because this is consumed most of because it's a 44 hour book, something you know, 42 yep. hours, 42 hours and 55 minute book. Um, it's ridiculous. So if you're trying yep. to make progress and actually get through <laughs> it in a reasonable amount of time, you know, I mean, I've been reading it for most of the summer right? because of that. So um, I will say the other format we didn't talk about, which is out there that I've I don't know it well enough to actually be able to read in it is Braille, which I find <laughs> fascinating. Yes. Um, 
you know, we, we encounter it um, in terms of like, because we raise seeing eye dogs, uh, you know, we've uh, no blind folks and they'll talk about reading with Braille and, um, and the skill of reading with Braille. And I, I just, it fascinates me. I'd love to learn it at some point. Just, it's not a skill I, I imagine I'll need to use all that much, but who knows? Life takes strange turns. Um, but the idea of, of reading by scanning bumps on a page. Yeah. And the technology has gotten to the point now where you have like the uh, transforming blocks, which will actually reshape. Yes. The, uh, to create the little dots that you need to read the, the Braille. I'm sure there's a technical yeah. term for those. Um, but the idea that you could actually read at speed or close to speed in that case is, uh, is, is kind of fascinating. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I haven't added any Braille books to my <laughs> summer reading list. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, years ago, um, uh, my mom was computer science professor. And so I would come in sometimes and, and help uh, tutor like the beginning computer science people, people who had, not had any programming experience and we're just getting into computer science. Um, and one of the people that I helped out was a blind student of hers who was learning computer programming. And so we sat down on a terminal, a Unix terminal, the keyboard had Braille on it. And so he, he could type, but what was interesting is, uh, and it would speak what he was typing back to him. So he'd type a line, and then it would speak that line when he was done, when he hit return. So you could, you could listen to it and, and hear any, he could hear any, uh, any errors that he might have put in there, like missing a semicolon or something or misspelling a word. Luckily, these were not very complex programs because in addition, so he had to learn how to do that, but I also had to learn how to do that because the monitor was broken on that machine. <laughs> and they're like, we don't have to fix this monitor because this is for all the blind students. Why would we need a Why would we need a murky, working monitor on this terminal that's for blind students? And so when I, here I was, he and I would both listen to the code, um, and I he and I would try and figure out where the syntax error is, um, if there was one, um, before he continued wow. on to the next line. And that was thirty years ago, probably. So I'm hoping things are much better now. Uh, in terms of that, like like having that that shifting blocks way to read books, you can probably read code that way too, right? Which would be pretty darn pretty darn cool to to be able to do that as well. So you wouldn't even need a a monitor at that point either. They kind of have something like that in sneakers. Yeah, I think it, I think that's true. I haven't seen. I now you make me want to go watch Sneakers again. Cause yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, I don't know that I will ever learn to read Braille because I don't need to, but it is definitely a very cool thing that is actually out there for those people who do use it. So right. So which all brings me back to I think my ultimate point, which is I'm not going to go out there and say, well, what you're doing isn't reading. Right. There's a lot of different ways to get the ideas from your media into your brain and if you're ingesting it i think i'm i'm gonna be willing to call that some form of reading right are movies reading uh no (laughs) because it's a visual because it's inherently a visual medium right yeah um but comic books are reading comic books are reading so definitely i'm gonna i'll 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 pause this here and and our audience (laughs) can decide whether or not 
other forms of media are also reading. Oh, I've that, got my own opinions. <laughs> that's that's a beautiful segue into uh, you know kind of closing out the show. So yep. uh, we we talked quite a lot. So you know, thanks everybody for for listening. Um, if you had feedback, including your opinions on uh, what is and is not reading, your preferred ways of reading, uh, you know, which which of these factors form factors you like, uh, we'd love feedback. Um, we we don't have the email uh, at this time for this recording because we we haven't created it yet, but we're going to do that real soon. So. We do have a site, and you can come visit us at lairofsecrets.com uh, and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your, your own thoughts on this and other topics. Uh, so this has been Ken. And this has been David. And we'll talk with you all next time.